0: Well, this morning, we are still in the month of February, kind of your Valentine's month, and I want to talk about intimacy. Now, I know when I say that it scares some people, and uh, some of the guys are making their way to the door. In fact, one of the ushers said that there's a a beige or some color Cadillac in the parking lot with the motor running. So either you saw the sermon title and weren't sure if you wanted to stick around or maybe you got it running for some other reason, but if that's you, uh, your car is running out there. But I want to talk this morning about how to grow in intimacy. How to grow in intimacy, whether that's as a married couple, whether that is as friends in a relationship, or simply as one human being to another. And there's no better way, I think, to really understand how to do that uh, than looking how intimacy was created and how it was intended to grow, but also how intimacy was ruined, as we read in the Scripture this morning, and really leaving all of us with a certain degree of heartache and brokenness because of lost intimacy and the desire to try to find that in again. So in the Bible, we see God's intent for intimacy, but we also see the devil's resolve to ruin intimacy. In fact, the creation story of Adam and Eve is really, to me, um, an example or a story of God giving away his glory, uh, giving away his presence in the sense of God sharing with us intimacy and closeness and completeness that is only found when we really learn to give ourselves to another person in the way that God has given himself to us or breathed into us in the same way that God brought woman out of man. I really believe that the true uh, essence of intimacy is opening your heart and giving to the other person what it is they so desperately long for and what they desperately need. And what that is, I believe, is blessing. That's really what the other person longs for, and it really is what we are longing for in a relationship. We are longing for blessing. We are longing for affirmation. We are longing for acceptance and for love, all those kind of things that really are summarized in that word of blessing. In fact, if I could summarize the essence of what we're going to talk about this morning, as I have in the next slide, it is this. If you want to grow intimacy in your relationship, it will have to be in opposite proportion to blaming and hiding, hiding and blaming. If you truly want to experience intimacy in any relationship, you have got to recognize those tendencies and resist those tendencies as we'll see this morning. The tendency to hide, to turn away, and the tendency to blame. What I believe destroys intimacy is living out of this sense of loneliness, uh, living out of this sense of disappointment, and really hiding ourselves from another person. Or on, in the context of being caught, as we saw Adam was in this story, that we turn. We turn, and instead we begin to take a revenge on that person who has exposed what we've done, or maybe has exposed who we really are, and we don't like what we are sometimes. We don't like the fact the other person knows it, and so we kind of turn to them in an instinct to, to justify ourselves, and oftentimes we... We hurt them. And so the essence of intimacy I want us to see this morning, it's not just flowers and chocolates. It's not just taking your sweetheart out uh, for a Valentine's dinner on February 14th. Now, you'd be a fool if you don't do something like that, but you would be more foolish if you actually let yourself believe that, uh, that that actually increases the amount of intimacy in your relationship, or that's what... Intimacy is really all about. It's about so much more than that. So what I want to offer you this morning is this very simple thought. On the next slide here, to the degree that you hide and blame, you will ruin the very thing that you most desire. But to the degree that you open your heart and you give to the other person, particularly in the context of your most difficult moments, uh, is what will give you the opportunity to develop true intimacy. We all desire intimacy, we all desire a connectedness and all that that brings, but what I've discovered over life is that it's oftentimes in the difficult moments that you have the opportunity to either lose that opportunity to shut that down, or you're given an opportunity to actually make it happen, to actually experience what it is your heart longs for. You say, well, what is intimacy? I believe according to the scriptures that intimacy is both the pleasure and the promise That love conquers death. That love is greater than hate. That love is greater than darkness and decay and all those things the enemy would bring into our lives. If all you want is pleasure, if all you want is is some enjoyment, you can create that in a relationship. You can create that and enjoy that for a particular period of time. But if you want something substantial, if you want something that is substantial enough that it can actually stand up against the statistics that say that 35% of first-time marriages fail, 65% of second-time marriages fail, 85% of third-time marriages fail. If you actually want something together that not only keeps you together, but will bring you the pleasure that God promises and pleasure that death cannot defeat, then you've got to experience intimacy as God intended. Because that really is the one thing that God has given us as part of himself that we long for. And again, whether it's in a marriage relationship, whether it's in a relationship with a close friend, a confidant, a guy friend, a girlfriend, whatever it may be, we were made for relationship on every level. But in order to do that, I believe in reading this story, one of the things we glean is that we have to be willing to step into what seems to be counterintuitive to what we have come to understand about Intimacy of what it really is and how we really can experience it, rather than just settling for what our society maybe calls intimacy, which is purely usually thought of in a sexual way. We have to empathize with the other person. We have to choose and understand that in those opportunities, those moments of conflict, those moments of pressure or difficulty or disappointment or frustration, that we really have an opportunity to move into, to step into that person's pain and frustration, and in whatever way we can, to have a heart that will bless them, rather than turn away, rather than shame them, rather than confront them, rather than in some way blame them for whatever it is is not functioning properly. I believe that every one of us struggles with what we read here in Genesis chapter three what came as a consequence of Adam and Eve's broken uh, intimacy with God and with one another. In chapter 3, I'm going to pick up in verse 16 to 19, and we see this, that then God said to the woman, this is after their sin, after their fall, after blaming one another, after blaming the snake, the serpent, God said to the woman, I will cause you to have much trouble when you are pregnant, and when you give birth to children, you will have great pain. Aren't you glad, ladies, that when you come to Christ, there's no pain in childbirth? Isn't that a beautiful promise? You will greatly desire your, you know, some lady sitting there is not a Christian. Really? (laughs) Where do I sign up? You will greatly desire your husband, but he will rule over you. That's what he said to the woman. Then he said to the man, you listen to what your wife said. And that's not bad, okay? But in this context, it wasn't good advice. You listen to what your wife said, and you ate fruit from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat. So I will put a curse on the ground, and you will have to work very hard for your food. In pain, you will eat of its food all the days of your life. The ground will produce thorns and weeds for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will sweat and work hard for your food. Later, you will return to the ground because you were taken from it. You are dust, and when you die, you will return to the dust. Now, that doesn't sound like very good news. But the reality is the Bible is saying that every single woman in the world, you will suffer the pain that your mother, Eve, suffered. And to every man in the world, you will experience the pain and the struggle that your forefather, Adam, suffered. And for the man and the woman, there are actually two things that God points to that are a consequence of brokenness, that are a consequence of sin and the selfishness and all that comes with that distorted view we now have because we are so self-focused. He says, for example, for the woman, you will have great pain when you give birth. Now, maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, if I'm a woman and I don't give birth, does that mean I escape the curse? No, because that wouldn't be fair, because we don't either. You don't escape the curse. Because although I believe that definitely part of the curse or the reminder of sin is that consequence of pain when giving birth, I also believe that for a woman, it speaks to the fact that a woman's heart fundamentally is relational. It's relational. There's dreams that a woman has. There's there's just this desire within a woman, in her heart, to bear fruit, to to have a life, to experience a life in which there's fruitfulness, there's 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 family, there's there's a sense of fulfillment in relationship, in those things that really matter. But one of the byproducts of sin, the Bible shows, is that the fall is that every woman is going to experience a degree of pain, a degree of pain in childbirth, but there's also this degree of pain in relationship. Now, you can't take a broad brush and paint every single person, but generally for a woman oftentimes, what is broken in a relationship or where there's pain in a relationship is that a woman can be in a relationship and yet still feel alone, still feel lonely, still feel like that person doesn't get her, still feel a degree of disappointment or dissatisfaction, a sense of unfulfillment in her relationships. And the second thing God says is as a consequence of sin to the woman, there will be a tension in your marriage. You will have a desire to lead. You will have a desire sometimes to kind of push your husband aside and make things work the way that you sense they should work, the way the home should function, the way that relationship should function, the way of raising the kids, whatever it may be. And it's really a powerful desire that you have, but the man's response to you is going to be to try to control you. It's going to be to kind of try to turn you down and kind of, you know, bring some balance to your life. The word desire is really interesting. It's actually used in the next chapter in Genesis chapter 4 where God uh, approaches Cain. Cain is very angry, and he's contemplating murdering his brother Abel. And so God comes to him in the midst of, a, of this uh, dilemma going on in Cain's mind, and God says this in verse 7. He says, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire, same word, is to have you. Now the translation says its desire is for you. It wants you. Now the translation says its desire is against you, and you must rule over it. That word desire communicates the sense of, of longing this sense of wanting to lay hold this sense of of dissatisfaction and and the need to be appeased to be to be satisfied and so and so the lord says there's this desire within a woman is toward her husband but toward her husband in a sense that she can sense she can discern where he's kind of missing it and, and what's lacking and and she can discern what she needs and and what's not there and she has this powerful desire. She has this intuitiveness, which is a gift from God. She has these senses that sometimes men just don't get, but the frustration, the pain is going to be compounded by a man who doesn't get her, and oftentimes even kind of dismisses her. Now, I don't know if anybody here can relate to that. Good time to elbow your husband, but he says the response of the man will be to rule over you. The response of the man will be to kind of silence you, not because your desire is unreasonable, not because it's unimportant, but because when you express those things, the man feels unqualified a lot of times to really get you. And he feels unqualified to actually fully meet your need or what he knows you want him to be. And so that's why you get oftentimes men kind of dismissing, not that they don't care, but they're not quite sure what they do. And so you, you hear men say things like, but don't be so foolish or you're so emotional or you know you you're a woman whatever it's not that the man has some you know revelation and insight into your real problem the problem is he has no clue what to do and he feels out of control and so he has to kind of rule he kind of you know in his view he just sees a nail that's all he sees. Well, let me just take care of that. And you're saying, no, no. It's more than that. There's pain. There's a reason why the nail's there. Whatever, you, know, you probably put it there. And I want you to understand that. I want you to see that. I want you to take ownership of that. You know, whatever it may be. But men tend to kind of deal with it that way. But basically, what the man is doing is the same thing Adam did. We hide and we blame. We hide and we blame. We don't want to deal with the emotion, we don't want to deal with perhaps that sense of emptiness, and so we hide. Or your need exposes the fact that I don't have it all together, and I'm not exactly sure what to do. And so because I feel exposed, I dismiss you, or maybe I even blame you. I believe every woman in the world, if I could break down a difference between a man and a woman in the context of the Scripture, I believe every man, woman in the world asks herself this basic question. It is this. Am I too much? Am I too much? Remember Helen Reddy? I am woman. Hear me roar, right? In numbers too big to ignore. I apologize, men, for knowing that song, by the way. I know you have no respect for me anymore, but but you know, there's that there's that sense of of there's just there's too much. There's so much that's being held back. And I really believe there's an element where many women through the years, they ask themselves, am I too much for my husband? Am I too much for my boyfriend? Am I too much for my father, whatever, that man in my life? Maybe it's my employer. Why? Because oftentimes in a woman's heart, because she bears life, there's so much more a sense of desire and of passion and of dreams and of hope. But because of that, there's also this compounded potential of frustration and disappointment. And and there's this sense of, am I too big? The needs I have, the desires that I have, the things that I dream and long for, are those too big for the man in my life to be able to address. And again, that's why oftentimes a man will try to turn down or to diminish or to control those feelings. That's what the scriptures talk about when it says that a man will rule over the woman. That's what God said. But it's not a good thing. He's not saying it's a good thing. In fact, it's something man does because of the fall, because of his own sin and his own brokenness. There's that tension there. I hear what you're saying, but I don't really hear, I don't really get it. And so because it kind of accentuates my inadequacy, I'm gonna kind of just turn for now. And then when I'm confronted sometime, I'm going to, like Adam did, I'm going to blame you. This woman you gave me, that's the reason. Well, if that's the reality for women, then what's the reality for men? I think there's two things as well. First of all, I believe that every day of your life, the Scripture is saying, you will go through life as men, working hard to kind of scrape by, to... to Etch to out a living, to, to do well, to provide for your family your loved ones. He says in chapter 3, verse 17, you will have to work very hard for your food. In pain, you will eat its food all the days of your life. So there's pain for the woman, but you'll notice here there's also pain for the man. But in the case of the man, he says, nothing is going to come easy for you. And whatever does come your way, you're always going to have this sense that it's not going to last forever. It's going to turn to dust. You always have this sense that I've always got to, I've got to strive, I've got to, I've got to be, I've got to accomplish, I've got to attain, I've got to have, whatever it may be. And that's one of the reasons for men, you know, it can oftentimes be on their radar, you know, it's the the bigger house, the nicer car, the whatever the case may be. It's just, I just kind of need these things to show that I have value, that I'm worthwhile, that I'm Providing for my family, that I am a good man. But there's also this awareness that all that stuff is still going to turn to dust. There's got to be something more in life. There's got to be something more in relationship. I need something more that only marriage can provide if it's there. Because these other things are not enough. And so while the woman asks, am I too much? The man is always asking, am I enough? Do I have enough brains? Do I have enough strength? Do I have enough ability in this world to make it for myself, let alone having to make it for another person, or for my wife, or for my children? Now, again, this can be kind of a broad brush, but what I've found in my own experience, and in talking to men from time to time, is that a man typically plows through, and he does what he has to do. But meeting the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of my wife and of my family and other people who are important to me, it's not an easy task. And when I'm moving in those areas, I'm always second-guessing myself. I'm always feeling sometimes or oftentimes, am I doing it right? Do I really understand? Am I meeting the need? Am I the, the man I'm supposed to be? I'll always remember my first Thanksgiving as a married man, setting the table, trying to make myself useful, Well, Vanessa was finishing things up, and she just said, you know, not even thinking, she just said, honey, why don't you carve the turkey while I I do the vegetables? And suddenly, I felt this rush of responsibility to do something I had never done before. When she said to carve the turkey, I just felt like all of a sudden I'd been called out. I've been exposed, because I'm the man in this relationship. You know, I'm the one, I guess, who's supposed to do that. But the reality is I had never carved a turkey before. In fact, I'd never had any interest in carving a turkey before. I had never learned. Uh, In fact, Dad, I see myself more like my father the older I get. And I can always remember that Dad was okay. I would offer, no, no, it's okay. I'll I'll take care of this. Or after a Thanksgiving dinner, we'd have like 20 people and Dad would be in the kitchen doing the dishes by himself. And you'd offer, no, I'm good. And I find I'm the same way today. If There's a stack of pots in front of me. I'm good. I like the time alone. I'll do the dishes. You go relax. I'm fine here. I'm happy. I can hear your conversation if I'm interested and choose to listen. I'm talking with the company, not my wife, but the company. But I can remember when my wife asked me to carve the turkey. I didn't have this conversation with her, but my first thought as a young man, as a married man, was why? Why in the world would you presume that I can carve a turkey just because I'm a man? I mean, how sexist is that? Now, mind you, that was 35 years ago. You wouldn't say it today. A woman would probably take the knife and do it herself. But, you know, I mean, I can break up the turkey. I can get meat from the bone onto the plate, but it's not going to look very nice. And back in those days, we didn't have Google. So I couldn't say, sure, honey, then sneak into the washroom. and How do I carve a turkey? Couldn't do that. So I recognized at that moment that I was exposed for the fraud that I was. I was a man, but I couldn't carve a turkey. And and in a sense, though it's kind of a, a lighter topic, the fact is I discovered that all through my 30 years of marriage, there would be these times, these moments, these things where maybe men were expected to know certain things or do certain things, or at least it was strongly desired from the wife that you would be able to do these things. And I realized I couldn't. I didn't know. I wasn't as sure exactly how to do that. And under all of that came this sense was I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I don't do this well enough. And so you can kind of see the tension between men and women, whether you're married or not. You have one who basically says, I'm too much. I've just got all these desires, all these things I want to give birth to, all these relational things that are important to me, these emotional things. And you get a man saying, I'm not enough. I mean, one is, you know, full of the sense of frustration and disappointment. The other one has a sense of futility and failure. And the natural response in those moments of conflict and understanding is to do what? It's to step away. It's to turn away and to hide. And then finally, to turn back and to blame. Or to argue, whatever it may be. But then because we love each other, the issue eventually dissipates. We say, I'm sorry. We say, I shouldn't have said those words. We say, I love you and then eventually things return to normal. But the problem is the same type of things happen over and over and over again, and we haven't really addressed anything. Nothing is resolved. And if that never happens, then over the years, as that same pattern continues, what happens is not only do the issues kind of themselves dissipate over time, but so do those feelings of safety, those feelings of satisfaction, of enthusiasm, and of confidence in your relationship. You know, if I asked you this morning, how do relationships break up? I mean, how do marriages end? How do relationships end? I, rarely have I found that somebody just wakes up one morning and says, I don't love them anymore. I don't even marry to them anymore. What happens is over a long period of time, there's a drifting, there's a disconnecting, there, there's, there's a slipping away from one another because we never use those moments to communicate. We just allow ourselves to get farther and further apart. And then one day you wake up and you realize, I've been sleeping with the enemy all this time. And we feel like it's gone too far. Now, you may love each other. You may still be best friends. But there's nothing left in your relationship of any real closeness or tenderness or intimacy or what you would describe, really, as being in love. Well, how do we keep that from happening in our marriages, and certainly in our friendships, but also in our marriages this morning? It's not that complicated, but it's not that easy. I believe with all my heart the simple answer, which I see in this story, is rather than being like Adam and Eve, who turn away from each other, who hide, and eventually come back and point at each other, and blame each other rather than doing that instead we choose to stand we choose to stand with that person we stand to, we choose to stand with their frustration and with their pain for example as a man i need to invite my wife into my world i need to try to help her to understand that there's probably not a day that goes by, or very few, that when it comes again to those important issues in life, those emotional issues, spiritual issues, whatever it may be, that there are not very many days that go by that I actually feel like, I've got this. Yeah, I can do this. Oh, I've got this figured out. I don't mean just in the sense of bluffing, but that I honestly know what I'm doing. That I honestly fully feel qualified in that area and don't feel there's still something sometimes that is lacking there's hardly an issue that goes by sometimes where there's not some kind of doubt in one way or another that there's not a voice that says to me as a man as a father as a boss whatever the case may be a friend time and time again there's a voice that says i know who you really are you're a fake you're a poser you're not enough for this Now, man, I won't get to raise your hands, but I think most of us could. Regardless of the image that we give, there's a sense within us. I know who I am, and I know what I'm doing, but I know I'm not doing it as well. It doesn't mean there aren't basic things that you can do well. There's a whole lot of stuff that we can rhyme off that comes natural. We have natural gifts. We can do that. We're famous in front of people that don't know us. But when it really comes to being with the person that we know, when it really comes to the issues that are most important to us, and oftentimes when we're frustrated because we can't meet those needs, we find other things to do to escape. When it comes to those things, we have that struggle of feeling that we're not enough. I mean, I can muster up enough strength. I can, you know, present enough bravado. I can bluff my way for a while. But there's nobody who knows better than my wife. My frustrations my failure, my sense of futility. And so what I'm asking us as men this morning is, what does it mean to actually invite my wife into those feelings? To invite my wife into my struggle with competence, into my struggle with achievement, into my fear of failure or my fear of futility or my fear of am I enough? In those areas that really are important to me. And in the same way, my wife needs to invite me into her loneliness. She needs to invite me into her dreams, into those areas that she may feel intuitively. Because you see, that's the thing about women, guys. I'm sure you know this, but women, it seems that in the fall, that women retain this intuitiveness, they retain this almost natural inclination towards spiritual things, and men don't seem to have that in a natural way oftentimes, and that's why when it comes to spiritual things, it's not that men don't have a desire to know God, to walk with God, to be the man of the house, and all those things our wife wants to be, because we love our wife, but the reality is women just seem to have more of a natural bend to that, but the instinct is for the woman is to either go and take the lead and get out ahead and show you how to do it because you're not doing it or to remind you that you're not doing it and you're not doing it right. And that's why when Paul talks about submission, what I believe he's really talking about is not that women you are less than, but listen, women, this comes more natural to you. So what I need you to do is step back a little bit and help your husband to come alongside and walk together as equal partners in the things that the Lord has has for you. Because if you don't, if you either just step out and do it yourself, or if you just remind him how he's not doing all the time, you know what he'll do? He will step back and he'll say, you're better, you do it. No, and he's not being vindictive. He's not being vindictive. He just feels like, you're right, I don't get this. I don't know how to carve a turkey. I don't know how to be the spiritual leader. But because you are intuitive and you sense things and you see things at a deeper level than we most times ever will, you need to try to come alongside. and have these conversations, but come alongside and walk together, learn together. I love my wife. And I never wanted to feel lonely. I never wanted to feel disappoint, disappointed. But you know what? There are times when I know I'm the cause of it. I'm the cause of it. I mean, she came into the marriage with her own baggage, just like I did. But I can see over the years, at times, I probably added to the frustration. You know, there's times when she says, I married my father. And it's not a compliment. I mean she doesn't mean it that way. No offense, Pastor Penny. Because when I'm upset, I say, "I married my mother." And you know what? In a lot of ways we have. And so we bring certain expectations into the relationship. And unfortunately, sometimes the person we love and we're looking to to somehow address that need can actually even make it worse, not intentionally. And so can you see the potential for hiding and blaming? Can you see why it is so important that we actually enter into the struggles of the other person? And the way that I do that is rather than turning away from my spouse or turning against my spouse. Hear me, friends. The way I do that is I actually begin the conversation by telling the truth about myself of who I am, where I am, what I'm feeling. And I, it begins by speaking the words that I really be, believe are the beginning of intimacy. If you want to learn intimacy, if you want to grow in intimacy, you've got to learn these words. I am wrong. No, I mean that I'm wrong. I don't mean I'm just wrong because I'm a guy. Because it's not just a guy's wrong, girls aren't. Girls are wrong too. But I've got to recognize in that conversation as the husband or the wife, there are times when I'm wrong. I am wrong in how I'm making you feel as as my wife, as my sister in the Lord, as another human being. I am wrong at how my judgments bring shame to you. I am wrong how my rolling eyes or my sigh or whatever button it is that I know how to push, I'm wrong how that makes you feel, how that shuts you down, the guilt it brings to you, the shame it brings to you, how it accentuates your emptiness or loneliness, or as a man, how it accentuates your sense that you're not enough. I'm wrong to do that. I don't have the right to do that. I'm wrong for how my impatience shuts you down, whatever it may be. And because I'm wrong... I ask you to forgive me. That's where intimacy begins, I believe. Intimacy is not complicated. It's not complicated. But, men, if you're like me, some of you do the same thing I do. I'm just saying this metaphorically. But, you know, you have the issue. You have the confrontation. You have the frustration, whatever it may be. And what do we want to do? We want to retreat. That's why we have men caves, Right? That's why we have workshops. We want to retreat to that place because we have this sense that we're just, we don't want, you know, we want to avoid the conflict. But see, the problem is when we avoid the conflict and we walk away, we leave the other person standing there by themselves, and the loneliness gets compounded. The frustration, whatever it may be, gets compounded. Now, for men, the workshop is that place of safety. It's that place of control. But in truth, it's actually a place of hiding. And the reason we look for that place of hiding is because her need scares me to death and I'm tired of failing. Any guys want to admit that? Say, no, man, you're on your own. (laughs) Just keep talking. But it's true. That's why we retreat. That's why we go away. That's why we emotionally shut down, whatever it may be, because of just that sense of impotence, emotionally, spiritually, whatever. We don't know exactly how to meet that need and yet we love this person. Can I tell you, friends, the key For intimacy, it's to stay. It's to not walk away, not shut down, but to stay and admit what is true. And that might mean saying, I am wrong. For example, it's not just the men, the women, sometimes they have to say, honey, I'm wrong for being consumed with our children and ignoring your heart, ignoring your needs. I'm wrong for throwing myself into this when I know you need me i'm not quite sure what to do and for the man he might say i'm wrong for being consumed with things things that i know aren't going to last forever hobbies and toys whatever the case may be things i throw myself into when i know the greatest thing i've ever been given is the privilege to care for your heart that's the greatest gift i'm given as a husband and as a man but i know it's difficult sometimes because i don't feel qualified and so i want to admit that i'm wrong and i want to ask for forgiveness I know it's not easy to do, and there are people here, you've not said those words in decades. But is it any wonder that there's no real intimacy oftentimes in our relationships if we're not willing to actually stand with the person, to identify, to empathize with what they're feeling, with what what, what they're going through in their heart, even if we've caused it or not, rather than turning away and blaming? I think every one of us struggles with that. We all struggle with that. Every one of us has our own way of blaming. Every one of us needs to be able to recognize how we uniquely do that in those moments that we feel hurt or upset or disappointed. Friends, I don't care how good you may think your marriage is right now, I can promise you every single one of us have ways that are unique to us that we voice our displeasure. We may never raise our voice. Vanessa and I are not confrontational people. I don't know if you've ever had a shouting fight in our entire 30 years. Not necessarily a good thing. One of the first things Pastor Penny said when he counseled us, i got to tell you, it's kind of weird getting marital counseling from your father-in-law. But it only lasted an hour, but he had a great word. And one of the first things he said was, Paul and Vanessa, you got to understand, you're both evasive. That's going to be a problem. It may mean that you never fight, but you'll fight. It'll just be in a different way. You'll shut down, it'll be in a different way. You may not have a blow-up, but that doesn't necessarily mean everything is healthy you have to make sure you learn how to communicate, how you talk about the things that are potentially damaging to your relationship. And so every one of us, whether it's a side, the rolling of the eyes, going, you know, going outside, going for a walk, whatever, we all have ways of demonstrating that we're hurt or upset in a way that makes the other person feel guilty or shame. And even though in those moments there's a tendency for us to do whatever comes natural, I want to encourage you, friends. We have, we have to instead say, no, I'm not going to do that. And the reason I'm not going to do that is because Jesus Christ, the one who took upon the cross all of my shame, all of the curse of sin and his power over me, he changed places with me and he overcame the power of death so that me, rather than being a person who curses, who condemns, who shames, I have the power by the Spirit of God who is in me to actually stand and to bless, to bless, and to love, and to release. Jesus entered into all the frustrations we will ever experience. And we have the power now to bless. And that's why we're able to bring Jesus into every one of our struggles with one another in a way that gives us strength not to turn away, but to stand with my spouse and to say, I don't know exactly what to say. I don't know exactly what to do, but here's one thing I'm going to do. I understand that I must start with my own heart. i got to start with me. Whether that means stepping away for a moment, honey, I'll come back in a few moments. I just got to get alone with the Lord. i got to confess my flesh is kind of rotting right now. i got to confess that I'm kind of in a carnal mind right now. i got to bring this stuff before the Lord. I want to start with my heart. And if I start with my heart, what I have found, my friends, one of the reasons I've avoided many arguments with Vanessa over the years is because I've just given in. I'm just kidding. That doesn't help. Most of you think, well, of course, she's the smart one. But what I have done is I've just gotten along with the Lord. Or in the morning, my own quiet time, I've just brought things to the Lord. And you know, the beautiful thing is, I come to the Lord, I pour my heart out, I just tell him how, you know, she's wronged me and how she's, you know, neglecting me or she doesn't understand me or this really irritates me uh, about her, you know. And the Lord just gently by his Holy Spirit comes alongside and he says, Paul, you're being an idiot. (laughs) Most times, most times. Anyways, I I, got to wrap up. I'm going to ask the musicians actually to join me if you will. But I've learned that as I acknowledge where I have turned away, where I have blamed, then I can begin to bless, and I can begin to empathize, and we can begin to walk together. I may not always do it well, but I have to make a fundamental decision in a relationship if there's going to be intimacy. And that decision is, I will not quit, and I will not walk away, so that we might come to know each other more deeply than we've ever known each other before. I wonder if we understand that the world is looking at our marriages. Do we really understand that as believers, as followers of Christ? We have a world, many people who are struggling to make marriage work, and they're looking at Christians who profess to know God. And a lot of times they come to the conclusion that we're really no different than they are. We're no different in the rate of divorce. We're no different in the rate of emptiness in our lives and relationships. But, friends, we are called to be a witness in our relationships. We're called to be a witness to the fact that the living God lives in our hearts, in each of our hearts, and he has given us the power to care for one another, to love for one another, to empathize with one another, and instead of walking away in a huff, to stand, and with the grace of God, to understand, to empathize, to share, to pray together, and ultimately to bless one another. You know, in 30 years of marriage, the greatest gift my wife has ever given to me, and I mean this sincerely, whether it's spoken, whether it's in a card, the greatest gift my wife has ever given to me is to say these simple words Paul, you are a good man. You are a good husband. You are a good father. Do you understand me, man? There's no gift my wife or boys can give me that means as much as that. And fundamentally, when I hear that, I'll work 80 hours a week. That's all I'm looking for, that I'm enough, that I'm enough. And in being enough and allowing the Lord to work the largest in my heart, then I can be more to her in those areas where she has dreams and wants to give birth to things in relationship and emotionally and spiritually, those things can be addressed in her walk with the Lord and her walk with a husband who is walking with the Lord. There's always going to be difficult moments, friends, but my prayer for us this morning is that we'll really begin to experience what it is as couples together. To stand, to speak, and to bless rather than to hide and to blame. Would you bow your heart with me this morning? As we close in prayer, the worship team plays, I just, I want to ask you to quiet your heart before the Holy Spirit. Wherever you may be right now in your relationship with your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, wherever you may be as a person who maybe doesn't have somebody else in your life right now, but you have relationships that are important. It could be your parents, whoever, friends, whatever. I want to talk to husbands and wives for a moment this morning. And I want to ask you to invite the Holy Spirit into your heart. I want to invite you to ask the Lord just to open your heart to the Lord. As a man and as a woman. Whatever the issues may be, there's too many to even begin to go through today. But I want you to make a simple resolve in your heart before God. It is this. Lord, help me to stand. Help me to stand. And even now, as the Lord is speaking to your heart, you know where those areas are. And you may need to do a very simple thing this morning or when you get home this afternoon is just take the hand of the person you love more in the world than anybody in the world. And you may feel frustrated, inadequate. You may feel, as a woman, frustrated, whatever. But to say, I love you. I need you. And I want to stand with you. I don't want to turn away anymore. I don't want to hide anymore. I don't want to run to other things anymore. I just really want you. And I want you to want me. And I want us to move together in this thing. Because we came together for a reason. And if there's one little bit of pre-marriage marriage counseling I can give you, it is this. Just with your head bowed, just think about this for a moment. Whatever the issue is in your marriage relationship, your spouse is never the issue. The issue is the issue. Let me say that again. Your partner is not the issue. The issue is the issue. Your partner has been given to you to face the issue together and to overcome the issue. That doesn't mean there's not need for counseling sometimes, whatever else may go with it. But the devil wants to get our eyes On the other person. Blame, blame, blame. It's the woman's fault that you gave me. It's the snake's fault that showed up. No, no, no. You both know what to do. What you should have done when you stood before that tree and before the serpent, together you should have agreed. No, God said not to. We are going to fight this thing together. We are going to stay free. But let's admit it. We both messed up. Now, how do we get whole again? How do we find forgiveness and healing? How do we find that thing that our heart longs for more than anything else, which is real intimacy? real intimacy. Will you just stand with me? I'll just pray a prayer. And after we dismiss, I'm going to ask the altar team to come. And we just want to be here for any need at all this morning. If you're here and something we've shared this morning, or maybe you've got something in your body, or you want to stand for somebody else, there's just prayer offered for whatever your need may be. So I'll ask the team to come after we pray. But I want you to take the hand of your spouse if you would, and I'm going to ask Vanessa to join me if she would. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of relationships in every dimension. I thank you that you have made us in such a way, Lord, that we are not complete without another, whether it be a spouse or a friend, a parent, whatever it may be, you have made us for relationship one with another. And I pray, Father, that by your word, you will expose to every heart the lies of the enemy, of what all the things we think are there, all the issues they are not. Lord, I pray this morning you would just find an honesty in every one of us who would say, Lord, start with me start with my heart first and lord as you do that we would find such a grace and such a blessing from you that lord it would just flow through us to those we love and that lord that our words would not be blame anymore they would be blessing blessing that would release hope and dreams and and opportunity and miracles oh god words of life and so lord i pray for every couple joining hands today Bring them into a deeper dimension, I pray, of communication, of understanding, of life, experience, and relationship and intimacy. Lord, for every single person as well here, I pray today, for those relationships they have with important people you've brought into their lives, I pray, Father, help them to discover that true intimacy, true relationship comes in the emptying of ourselves to bless others. And so, Lord, let your word remain in our hearts, I pray today, as we go our ways, and we pray for blessing over our homes, blessing over our marriages and families. We pray that our houses be places of refuge, a place we look forward to coming to, not fleeing from. Lord, a place that's a sanctuary, a safe place. And the safest place of all, oh God, will be in the arms of the person that we love and stood at the altar to commit ourselves to forever. And so, Lord, thank you for the hope and truth you bring to our lives. Bless everyone this morning, I pray in Jesus' name.